Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, September 7th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35. The Lord's gift of wisdom protects us in the face of temptation toward adultery, though it may seem a small sin when it starts. Adultery quickly grows and leads to death. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. I'm so glad to get to be here with you today on this uh, special Monday holiday edition of Sharper Iron. That's right. It is Labor Day today. So, Pastor Ill, as we consider Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35, what do we need to know about the book of Proverbs, this section of Proverbs, Hebrew poetry, any background information that's going to help us with our verses for today? So the beginning of the book of Hebrew, uh, uh, sorry, of the book of Proverbs uh, comes out with uh, a series of statements, uh, 10 of them, from a father to his son. And he is giving advice. And he seems to have 10 of these kind of speeches or, or sections where he speaks to his son. And we are picking up today the ninth one as Solomon, the author of this portion of Proverbs, speaks uh, to his son. I'm not sure which son. I'm not sure at what point in Solomon's life that he gave these words, but he does speak about adultery, and he talks about it as being sinful, as being contrary to God's uh, plan and design, but also as being very harmful if you look at the effects of adultery on yourself. But as he goes through this, he's writing in this uh, Hebrew poetical form. And when we start to look at Hebrew poetry, we sometimes start to think, now, wait a minute, that doesn't look like any poetry that I learned when I was in school. Uh, and that's because Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Uh, in terms of its meter, Hebrew poetry does interesting things with the number of syllables in Hebrew. Um, and with the way that the different words are accented, but they're not uh, coming up with any kind of a rhyme scheme. And then when you start translating Hebrew poetry, uh, all of that gets lost. But what doesn't get lost in English is this idea that the lines of Hebrew poetry are often related to each other. Either the first line will say, will make a statement, and the second line will make a similar statement um, a slightly different way, or it will uh, take that first statement and improve on it and expand it. Uh, you could call that an amplification if you want to. We'll see, I think, one of those coming up in our reading today, and we'll see several of them. Uh, and we will at other times see where a line is given, but then the next line uh, says, the opposite, or it says what it doesn't say, kind of setting up that category of, of this, but not that. Uh, and so we'll look at how some of these lines play between each other, going from the first line in a verse to the second line in a verse to see what's going on there as Solomon lays out his argument uh, in this teaching on adultery. So the three categories, generally speaking, for Hebrew parallelism within its poetry, as, as you laid them out, would be this idea of a rephrasing or maybe an explanation that the second line explains further the first. Sometimes an amplification, so the, the first line and then the next one expands upon it, it amplifies it, or then the third kind of contrast. And, and we're going to see those sometimes, and we'll see this today too, it's more than two of them. We're actually going to see in, I'm going to say in verse 22, we'll see three lines in parallel to each other. So sometimes it's more than two. Generally, it's it's a couplet. Uh, Pastor Ill, in terms of the topic that we have before us today, you said this is the ninth out of 10 addresses to sons in this section of the book of Proverbs. And you mentioned adultery as the topic. Now we've seen adultery 
several times already in the book of Proverbs. It seems to be one of the key themes in these 10 addresses. Why does Solomon spend so much time warning against adultery? Is there something else going on besides adultery in the text? That's a wonderful question, and I I think there is. First and foremost, from the way that Solomon writes about adultery in this text, in chapter 6, verses 20 to 35, but also in some of the other addresses that he makes, adultery is a big deal to Solomon. From the text of Scripture, we don't know an awful lot about why this is such a big deal for Solomon, Uh, and Solomon doesn't ever just come out and say, this is why, from my experience, this is such a big deal. So I, I would, I think it's better to leave that speculation uh, kind of to itself. But also throughout Scripture, in both the Old and New Testaments, the people of God are often warned against adultery, and adultery is compared and is used as an illustration for worshiping other gods. This text is, first and foremost, about adultery. But as we study and live according to the Catechism, especially the Ten Commandments, we have no problem saying that any sin against any of the commandments, including the Sixth Commandment on uh, not committing adultery, is also linked to the First Commandment. And for anyone who participates in an adulterous relationship or in an act of adultery, that person has also broken the first commandment to not have any other gods before the Lord your God. And so there is a a subtext of idolatry that is close at hand. Uh, And so this is at the same time talking about adultery, but it's also talking about idolatry as things continue to go in this reading. And that comes to its fruition uh, in a couple of days in chapter 8, when it starts to talk instead of the evil woman or the adulterous woman who is depicted here, it begins to talk about the righteous woman and the woman of wisdom. And there, that wisdom of God is personified. Um, but I, I don't want to take away from, uh, from that leader's uh, thunder of who wisdom is and what wisdom does. But but come back for that one, because it's uh, to really get Proverbs 6, you need to be here for Proverbs 8. That's right. I, I think I think you're you're right, Pastor Ill, that there is a progression here that Solomon is building to in these chapters with these addresses into son to his sons, followed by again chapters eight and nine, that what he's been saying about adultery certainly applies to sins against the Sixth Commandment. And we'll talk about those as we have in previous episodes. And that's certainly in Solomon's view. But by the time you get to a few later chapters and he starts talking and and, and you get these, these addresses from Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly, that comes up in chapter nine as well. I think I think you're supposed to read those and and recall what we got, what we have here in chapter six and also in other places in this, that that as we hear about the dangers of adultery, later understanding wisdom and foolishness, we are also supposed to apply that in terms of the way we think about the true worship of God versus idolatry. So I, I do think you're right, that, that there's more going on than just adultery, but we can't forget that adultery is the topic at hand. And as com- uncomfortable as that might be to talk about sometimes, we do need to hear what God's Word has to say about it. Uh, Pastor Il, any more introductory comments before we take a look at the text? I don't think so. All right. So we're in Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 35. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text all at once, and then you can kind of give us an overview before we start digging in particular verse by verse. So Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. 
and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. That is the text for today, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35. So, Pastor L, through that whole text, give us just sort of a breakdown of a structure, the topics Solomon is addressing in this discourse before we dig in a little deeper, verse by verse. This reading really has three warnings against adultery, and that follows the the structure of the way that this gets laid out. And so the first section of the text, uh, oh, from about chapter, uh, in chapter six, from about verse uh, 25 to 26, it talks about uh, the price of an affair with a married woman. And then in verses 27 to 31, it talks about uh, the cost of adultery, and it will cost you all that you have. And then in verses 32 to 35, it speaks and it says that adultery shows a lack of sense. And so those are the main uh, kind of pillars where this comes. And it gets added to and illustrated um, in each of those sections. But the three parts are the price of adultery with a married woman is high. Adultery will cost you all that you have. And adultery shows a lack of sense. So with those three topics in mind, Solomon introduces this very similarly to the way we see many of these addresses to his son's work, where he calls upon his son to keep these commandments, keep the teaching. Here we get father and mother together, which is a, a nice reminder of some thing, themes we've seen earlier in the book of Proverbs. He, he invites us to consider the great importance of wisdom. And it's easy, I think, by this time that we've gotten this far into the book of Proverbs, just to sort of skip over it, but I, I think that would be missing the point. So take us into those first couple of verses where Solomon, again, tells his son, encourages him, calls upon him to hold on to this teaching, to treasure it highly. So he starts out in verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. This is one of those places where we can look at, at this as an example of Hebrew poetry and say, oh, here's two lines. The first one, my son, keep your father's commandment. Okay. And then the second line, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This would be a, a really clear restatement where both lines are saying the same thing and couching them in different ways. So it starts with, uh, keep your father's commandment. Do not forsake your mother's teaching, saying the same thing, but you have a reference to father and a reference to mother. On um, the one verse you have, in the first line, you have keep the commandment. And then in the second line, you have don't forsake the teaching. Uh, and so just to kind of see how that poetry is in action, uh, this would be a restatement or saying the same thing uh, in a slightly different way, back and forth. But then we have to stop and say, well, wait a minute, what is this commandment and what is this teaching? And as we go through Proverbs, I think that the teaching and the commandment that are given are more than simply the advice of mom and dad. This teaching and these commandments ultimately go back to the Ten Commandments. Uh, and the way that this is couched really makes me think of what we call uh, the close of the commandments or uh, the addition that God provides to the first commandment, where he says, uh, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the sins of those who hate me uh, to the third and fourth generation, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. This commandment and this teaching is the teaching of God. They are the commands of God. And this is the divine teaching that God brings for his people. 
it's not just that we hold our parents in high esteem, but when it is our parents who are teaching to us the word of God and instructing us in his commandments, we live by them not just because mom and dad gave them to us, but because these have come to us from God. So as we hear God's commandments about adultery and God's commandments about chastity and purity, it's a big deal because this isn't what mom or dad thinks. This is what God says. Uh, And so this portion will also lead us back to the Ten Commandments and keep us thinking about especially the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, But then it goes on in verse 21 to talk a little bit more about what this looks like when you hold on to this teaching, uh, where it says, "Bind bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. Um, Once again, that's a restatement between those two lines, but it also reminds us of the way that God speaks and that Moses speaks in Deuteronomy 6, where they talk about how you are to bind the law of God um, on your forehead and over your heart and on your arms to fix it by your doorpost, because everything that you do when you get down and or, sorry, when you lie down and when you get up, uh, all of it is covered by the word of God. And I think that this is a restatement of that passage of Deuteronomy 6. Does that follow, Pastor Apple, or uh, am I seeing things in the text that might not be there? I think you are right on, Pastor Ill, right, with with bringing up Deuteronomy 6, particularly there in verses 21 and 22, that that together you see precisely what Moses is talking about. And you, it's that's always encouraging to see how a writer like Solomon or other writers of Scripture will go back to what Moses has in his first five books and make use of that in, in their preaching. And Solomon, I think, is doing them right here. One of the things that I think is important for us when we consider Hebrew poetry, particularly since we're reading the Scriptures, but this is probably true of any poetry, is to have in our minds the image. What is the image that is being drawn here? And and I think there's there's a couple. You could tell me what you think. One, this matter of, of binding them on your heart, tying them around your neck. One of the pictures I think is a, a picture of clothing. And 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 then with this matter of, of walking and lying down and being awake, they're going to lead to watch over, they're talk with you. It's 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 clothing, a, a companion, something, someone that is always with you right by your side to to lead and to guide. What do you think about this this image that's being painted here in these verses? I think that uh, the the image of clothing works really well. Uh, to jump back though to Deuteronomy six. Uh, these words are given uh, to parents and to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. You shall teach them, that is the commands, to the Lord uh, diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit down, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Um, and then it goes on to talk about binding them as a sign on your hand, and how they will be uh, frontlets between your eyes, uh, like a... Uh, like a necklace, but on your forehead. Um, And it talks about how you shall uh, write the law of God on your doorposts and on your gates. But I think that the connection from Deuteronomy 6 to Proverbs uh, 6 verse um, 22, where it talks about when you walk, they will lead you. Uh, And then when you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, awake, they will talk with you. is a restatement of the three things that get said in Deuteronomy 6. Um, So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, if you're walking, the command and teaching of God is there. If you're sleeping or getting up or doing housework, the commands of God are there. When you're awake and doing work out and about, the commands of God are there. There is nowhere for God's people to be away from these commands of God. And the thing about that, that they're never away from the commands of God, notice who is doing the verbs there in verse 22. When you walk, they, that is this commandment, this teaching, they will lead you, they will watch over you, they will talk with you. The Word of God is living and active in this, as it always is. He is at work through His Word. This this 
commandment, this teaching, which you were saying, Pastor El, very well, that is more than just uh, parental advice. This is actually the word of God being passed down from parents to children. That word of God becomes active and actually does work in the life of the child, in the life of the Christian, that that it is that word that is doing the leading, the watching over, and the talking, which, I mean, that I think that's a, a, a pretty big thing to notice, that the word of God is active as we are hearing it and learning it. Absolutely. And it's that work of the word of God that is the emphasis for Solomon as he's teaching his son or the sons of Israel. And it is that active word of God that that he once known. So before Solomon gets very specifically into the matter of adultery, which again is the bulk of this text, you have verse 23. The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, which I think, at least in, in my mind, the verse that comes to mind is from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That, that God's commandment, again, is being active. It is shining a light on the way to walk. But then in, in verse 23, I don't know if we've spent a lot of time talking about this on Sharper Iron so far, but it is a theme that we've seen, and it is certainly one that will come up as the book of Proverbs continue. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. That reproof and discipline, which as in other places in Scripture we know or may seem harsh at the time, that actually God is working through discipline. He's working through reproof. How does how does the Lord work in those ways, Pastor Hill? I think that this is a case where we would talk about uh, law and gospel. Um, another translation that I have uh, takes that passage, and uh, where in the English Standard Version we read, the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. Uh, it says, in my other translation, warnings coming from discipline are a road of life. Um, and so it is, uh, it's this warning of getting too close to the edge. Uh, sometimes when we talk about the way that God's law works, we talk about it as a curb or as a guide. For someone who lives uh, in a life of faith, uh, there is a guide. And part of that guide is to say God's people don't, in this case, commit adultery. And so here, you uh, sons listen to this. There's no room for adultery. Just as anybody could recognize that adultery is, is harmful and that it doesn't come to any good or pleasant end, especially for one who is called by God, who is God's treasured possession, there is no room for adultery. And so this warning and this reproof into uh, the discipline of God, um, that is the way of life. What does the Christian life look like? It looks like one who lives by the Ten Commandments, not because they have to or not because they're proving to God that they can be holy and worthy, but rather because they have been made holy and worthy, and this is how God keeps them uh, within his discipline. As Solomon then starts to warn against adultery in verse 24, he says that that this reproof of discipline, this Warning. Well, how did it? How did your other translation go, Pastor L? The warnings uh, of the uh, the warnings coming from the discipline for, from okay. discipline. Okay, so the warnings coming from discipline, the reproofs of dis discipline. What are they to do? They are to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Which, so and just so we don't lose sight of the Hebrew poetry going on here, the first line of this couplet to preserve you from the evil woman. He's very clear as to what's going on. This is. This is preservation from this from evil from an evil woman, but in the second line, and I'm not sure if, if contrast is exactly what's going on, but it is a different uh, facet of the picture from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So, so adultery is still in view, but but notice how he he instead of evil woman, this adulteress has a smooth tongue. So the truth is, adultery and and this temptation from this evil woman is in fact evil, but it is by a smooth tongue that which looks pleasing that the temptation is to occur. Pastor, we've got about a minute and a half here on this side of the break to introduce this topic here. Uh, well, I think that verse 24 serves as, as an amplification. So he starts with, to preserve you from the evil woman. But what do we know about the evil woman? Well, then he goes on and tells you in the second line of the verse, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. 
And so he's taking what we know and he's adding to it in that second line. And so uh, I know you had talked about maybe it's some contrast, but I think it's it's saying yes and uh, the evil woman is is not for you. And the evil woman is the adulteress with her uh, smooth tongue. So something to look into there. Sure. And uh, some amplification and, and I think, and contrast isn't exactly the right way, but to, to point out that this evil woman, she's got a smooth tongue. So it may not look evil, I think is, and I think Solomon right. will, will get into that. He's gotten into that in other places as well, but that, that this evil woman, she may not sound evil. And he's, he's saying, make sure you recognize what's really going on, lest you fall into this temptation of adultery. We're going to keep talking about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, September 7th, Labor Day, and we are studying Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35. We've got Pastor Peter Ill with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we looked at Solomon's introduction, his imploring his son to hold on to this word of God that his father and mother have passed down, that it would be his constant companion, a guide for his path, lest he fall into adultery, which may look nice, may sound nice, but in fact leads to evil. And so with that, then we come to these three sections that you laid out for us at the beginning of what adultery is, what it does, and why Solomon is warning against it. So the first section, as you laid it out for us, is in verses 25 and 26, which, as you put it, the price of adultery with a married woman is high. How does Solomon communicate that in these two verses, verses 25 and 26? Well, uh, just to hear the two verses really briefly, uh, they go like this. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. So in these two verses, it's talking about especially adultery with someone who is is already married to somebody else. Uh, We would, um, in our American context, usually talk about this as an affair. Um, And so while he mentions a prostitute here, He's not specifically arguing against prostitution. Prostitution is bad. But he is saying adultery with somebody who's married is even worse than prostitution. And we've already agreed prostitution is bad. So uh, watch out for her beauty and her eyelashes. And then when we get into verse 26, we have this this line about a prostitute and a loaf of bread that I have to admit is one of the most confusing lines for me uh, in scripture and has been for a long time, in part because of how it literally breaks down in translation um, and then how to understand that. So if you just take the Hebrew words and break it down, that line comes out and says, oh, I have it written down here. Let me uh, make sure that I get it right. Um, because in behalf of a woman prostitute, as far as a loaf of bread. Uh, grammatically, I don't know what those words are, but I'm positive they're not a sentence. Uh, that's, that's Hebrew poetry for you, Pastor. We, we've had other guests who, who have lamented, thinking back to those elementary Hebrew days when we had to read poetry in Hebrew, and, and it just doesn't follow the rules of grammar like, like we were taught by the book. No, not at all. Uh, so I... To be really honest, I really struggle with with 
what do these words mean and what are these words saying? Uh, which is where I turn to uh, those gifts of God that he has provided who provide good English translations um, of these readings. And I suppose there's two ways to take, uh, to take this passage. One is to say that um, payment for a prostitute equals a loaf of bread, but the payment of adultery is much, much more. The other way to look at it is to say, if you have a relationship with a prostitute, um, it will reduce what you have down to a loaf of bread, um, and it will impoverish you. But if you have an affair or commit adultery with a married woman, it will take all that you have. Regardless of exactly how you parse that down, starting with the understanding, engaging in relations with a prostitute is bad. Engaging in a relationship with a married woman in adultery is even worse. And it talks about the, the married woman, the adulteress, hunting down a precious life. Uh, earlier, Pastor Apple, you had mentioned that when we hear these words in Hebrew poetry, it's important to take the, the metaphor and the image that we have. And here we think about uh, someone hunting. And other places in Proverbs, the same image of the adulterous woman um, hunting for prey um, and ending life is used for adulterous women throughout Proverbs. And so the son is being warned, stay away from the, the adulterous woman who will victimize you, who will bring your life and all that you have to an end. Uh, this is not a, a safe place to be, and this is not a place where the godly live. The godly live by the commands of God, uh, as they're seen in the Ten Commandments, as they have been written on the doorposts and on the clothing, uh, so that wherever you are, the words and commands of God are with you, and there is nowhere in the words and commands of God that prostitution or adultery are beneficial for you, and there is nowhere that these are a gift of God to you and for you. Uh, this is unrighteousness, and this is contrary to the divine teaching of God and to the commands of God. Hmm. You're, you're exactly right, Pastor Ill, that prostitution is clearly a sixth commandment sin. This is not a part of God's design for his people to engage in prostitution of any sort. And the way that Solomon writes it here uh, certainly strikes our ears as odd, I think, at the very least, that, that to say the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, as the ESV translates it, whichever of those two ways that, that you take it. I, I think the way that you mentioned in the first, that if the payment for prostitution is bread, then the payment for adultery with a married woman is is your very life is a is a good way of looking at it. And I think that would fall under what you've been talking about as amplification within a parallel Hebrew poetry. That and 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 this I, I think is the at least what I've been trying to roll around in my own head. The, the picture is that that Solomon is saying, look, if you think you're going to engage in prostitution the price that you're going to pay may seem pretty low to you, but look at where that sort of adultery can lead. That adultery, the prostitution, which is which is a sin, is going to lead you into greater sins that for which you will pay a, a higher price. And so it's, I mean, they're both sins, but he's saying, look at how, how when you start with what seems small, it's going to lead to far greater consequences. And I, at least that's, that's the picture that I get in my head. And I think within our contemporary application, when it comes to our own sexual ethics and to our own understanding of, of what sins are worse and what sins do we really have to watch out for, uh, sometimes we like to try to talk about uh, victimless sins or victimless crimes. And so sometimes we might say, well, uh, prostitution is a, is a crime with a victim, especially when you add uh, human trafficking and uh, the, the slavery elements that, that really fit into uh, 
that situation. But even, but then some people might try to justify, but the use of pornography doesn't have a victim in it. And so it's, uh, people will try to self-rationalize. Pornography is okay because it doesn't really hurt anybody. For prostitution, they get paid something. And, and where it's two consenting adults, there's really not a victim there either. But notice who Solomon points out the victim is in these cases of prostitution and of adultery. The victim isn't the prostitute and the victim isn't the adulteress. The victim is the person of God. And so when committing these sins, when deviating from the way of God, then the victim is you. These words and this encouragement is don't be the victim of a victimless or a victimed sin or of a victimless or victimed crime. Instead, simply live according to the call and the command of God. Because if you start to engage in adulterous behavior, it will have repercussions and it will uh, lead to, to serious problems for you. It kind of gets into the next couple of verses where, uh, as I think of it, I, I think of uh, verses 27 and 28 as, uh, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned, um, is my short summary of them. Might be a little too cheeky, I don't know. Uh, but verse 27 and 28 say, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Um, it still reminds me of a day I, I went out to meet a friend. I went to a local uh, Mexican restaurant and I ordered the nachos because I like nachos more than the next guy, I think. Well, as they were serving me the nachos with the cheese and the beef on them and, and everything else that I wanted, the waitress accidentally tipped the plate and the entire plate of hot, cheesy nachos landed in my lap. It was really uncomfortable. Um, I got some of it on my hands, but it was mostly on my lap. And it didn't burn, but it, it sure was uncomfortable for the rest of the day. If you're going to be exposed to something dangerous, fire next to your chest, you'll, you're going to burn your clothes. If you're going to walk on hot coals, your feet will be scorched. If you're going to break the sixth commandment, in prostitution or in adultery, there is a price to be paid, a price that the sinner who is engaged in that sin pays. It will have implications on your life, and it will hurt. It will hurt you. It will hurt your family. It will hurt the ones that you love. Um, and there is not a, a full undoing of that. Is there forgiveness for these sins from God? Absolutely. But there are still temporal consequences of that sin and of that sinfulness that most certainly remains. I think the, the way that you brought that all together was helpful, Pastor Ill, with the, the idea that, you know, I think the temptation for us that Solomon recognizes is to think that there are victimless sins, whether we're going to get through it unscathed or the other person is going to get through it unscathed. We're tempted to think that there are victimless sins. And, and what he's reminding us is that's simply not true, that, that in prostitution, both people do end up being victims. In adultery, both people do end up being victims. And, and the way of wisdom that Solomon is giving to his son is to recognize, as, as you said, this is not where the godly would live, because this is not the good that God has given in the sixth commandment. And just as a, a reminder, because it, I think this is always helpful when we think about the commandments, is to remind ourselves what is the good thing that God is giving us here. In the sixth commandment, the good thing is marriage, that lifelong union between one man and one woman as one flesh. And, and that is a wonderful, blessed gift from God given even before the fall into sin. And, and that's what he's trying to protect, so that when we engage in things like prostitution or adultery, those, those things are going to, to destroy that good gift that God has given. And, and we, we dare not think that we can go into those things 
and and come out on the other side unscathed. And and I, I think that I mean that's the picture ultimately that, that Solomon is painting. He's painting it very vividly. And and you know you said how did you put it? If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. I, yeah, maybe it's a little cheeky, but but I think it's right. I mean, I think that's that's what Solomon is is saying is like don't don't think that that you can play with this fire without getting hurt or or walk over the coals and and not be scorched. You will get hurt, and it's and it's going to be bad. And and I think that's that's the point of, of starting with prostitution, moving toward the adultery with a married woman, is to look how it escalates, and and you do start to see those those consequences in this life continue. Into verses 29, 30, and 31, Pastor Ill, you know, he he again mentioned, well, I'll just I'll read them again for us and let you talk further. So verses 29 through 31. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. What's he brings up this image of of theft there, Pastor Ill. What's what's Solomon doing there? Solomon is referring back to the law that was given in in the Torah, where um, if someone steals, uh, they are uh, and when they're caught, they are expected to pay back seven times what they took. So it's not just enough, according to the law of God, that if you've taken something, you repay it item for item. But instead, for everything you took, you give back seven. Um, well, if you're stealing because you don't have enough food to eat, and then you have to give back sevenfold or seven times what you took, you have nothing left. I mean, if you had something, you wouldn't be stealing in the first place. If that's what happens in the case of theft, then how much more do people suffer when they are caught in their adultery? Because here, the punishment comes, and you can't pay back seven for your adultery. Instead, uh, all of the goods of your house uh, are taken. Uh, your reputation is lost. Your standing in the community is gone. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 32 to say, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Um, what good do you get from adultery? You could, you could make the argument that a thief who steals a loaf of bread gets something for himself. But what does the adulterer get? I'm, I'm really at a, kind of at a loss to say that he gets anything. But what's at stake and what does he lose? He loses everything. Um, it is self-destructive to engage in adultery. And with the firmest words, Solomon reveals just that. Um, and so then he goes on uh, in verses 33 through 35. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation, but will refuse, though you multiply gifts. In other words, there's no paying off the effects and the, the temporal here and now consequences of adultery. You can't undo that sin. And uh, in the case of the Old Testament law, a kinsman redeemer is going to be sworn out against you, and you're facing, very likely, the death penalty for your adultery. Uh, there's no coming back from this. You can multiply gifts. You can try to give compensation. But there's, there's no mercy. There is the possibility of repentance and forgiveness. But those consequences of adultery are real. And they will be coming for you. Yeah, this is not a this is not a small matter that Solomon is addressing. Pastor Il, you you asked the question, what what good do you get from adultery? And I'm I'm with you that that you're just kind of at a loss to think of well what what good can come from it. But I do think we we would fool ourselves into thinking, you know, well well what good can I get from this adultery? Well, I'm in a I'm in a loveless marriage. And, and so I, I can find love in this other woman. 
and, and I think that's the, the great temptation with, and that's just maybe one example, the great temptation to look outside. And this is the gift of God, right? This is what we said with the sixth commandment. God has given a wonderful gift that is called marriage. And when he unites a man and woman to each other, that, that is a wonderful thing. And to look outside of it, thinking that, that we can find something better than what God has given. Well, I mean, that's, that's the allure. That's the temptation. It's like, well, I, it looks like there's going to be love over there for me. And if I, if I go over there, that's where I'll, where I'll find it. When instead God calls you to, to look for it in the place that he's given you, marriage, rather than to look in the place he hasn't given you, that's, that's adultery. And throughout all of this, with the example of adultery also being used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as an example of uh, the faithlessness of God's people, um, the idea that if you go chasing after other gods, and if you look for your acceptance and that relationship uh, that is meant to be between Christ and his bride, the church, and if you try to find it anywhere else, you're not going to find Christ there. You're not going to find the forgiveness of sins. You're not going to find the mercy and the grace of God who has taken on flesh to dwell with you. And in the middle of that, there is terrible, terrible consequences. This warning as it applies to adultery is severe, but it is just as severe when it's seen as an image or an illustration to not be setting standards on other religions, other gods, or other ways of being saved. In all of this, the focus is the words and the commands of God are clear. Do not depart from them. Do not depart from them for adultery, and do not depart from them for idolatry. Neither of these are okay. And the punishment for both of these will demand your life. Uh, it doesn't lead us to a, to a pleasant ending or to um, warm, fuzzy feelings, but it does lead us to the truth of God's word, that lamp and that light that is with us always. And how are we doing on time this morning, Pastor Apple? We, we've, we've got about five minutes left, Pastor Oh, we have Bill. five so whole you, minutes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, you, got, you got a little time to reflect still, so. Oh, good. Um, for those... Let me, let me, oh, maybe, let me try to... Well, just uh, when it comes to... Because I do... I, I'm glad you brought up the matter of idolatry, too, because we, we mentioned that at the beginning. So uh, when it comes to idolatry, I mean, we've, we've seen the temptation of adultery. The, and, and why it's so alluring. What about idolatry? Why is that alluring? What is the consequence? And then what is the importance of holding on to the truth? Is that about five minutes worth of stuff? Probably. Can I have you can I have you say it back just one more time for me? So why is idolatry so tempting for us? What are its true consequences? And what is so much better about the truth that God gives? When we are tempted with idolatry, and when we are tempted to believe something other than what God has told us, it ultimately comes down to, we want to believe a lie that we have been told. Sometimes that lie has been told to us by someone else. Sometimes that lie has been told to us by ourselves. Um, I suppose in that regard, uh, you had talked about for for the man who might say I'm I'm in this loveless marriage and so I will find love outside of my marriage um, with with another woman. For one who says the words and the commands and the teachings of God do not make sense to me, so I will go find a way, find a place where what they talk about and the words and commands of God make sense to me. I will find my acceptance and the goodness there instead of here. Uh, it, it would be a parallel move in that regard uh, to say, well, just because everybody else is following uh, Christianity, the idea that I can go be my own person and have my own self-control and my self-autonomy over there by being a little bit of a rebel that also would perhaps have its own appeal. But truthfully, there is no appeal and there is nothing good 
outside of Christ Jesus. If you are looking for goodness apart from the one who came into the world to redeem his wife, to purify her and make her holy without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, then you're looking in the wrong place. It is Jesus who comes to purify his church. Even when his church and even when his Christians have been adulterous and idolatrous, excuse me, and idolatrous, he comes and says, I have died for you. That cross there on Calvary is for you. My body was laid into the grave for you. I am now risen from the dead, and I have ascended into heaven, and I rule over all things for you. And now, if you think that your life is forfeit because of adultery, or if you think that your life is forfeit because of idolatry, have I got good news for you? I have come with the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of adultery, in whatever form that may have taken, with forgiveness for idolatry, in whatever form that may have taken, for not hearing and living according to the word of God, for covetousness and desiring to do things your own way, for theft, for damaging the reputation of another, for not respecting your parents and for not respecting the word of God, in all of that, the death and resurrection of Christ is for you. Perhaps at the end of this reading, you're starting to think, well, if I have found myself guilty of some kind of sexual sin, or if I found myself guilty of idolatry, is there any hope for me? Yes, there is. Absolutely. The hope and the help for you is named Jesus. He suffered and he died to forgive you your sin, to call you to continue to walk according to the lamp and the light of his commands and his teaching, and he is the one who makes you perfect and holy. He gives you this command, not simply to make you feel guilty, but to call you to live as a Christian. And so, dear Christian, be strengthened. Your Jesus has died for you, and your Jesus has saved you from all sin, and your Jesus declares that you are his, and his word and his promises are for you. Pastor Peter Ill is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35. Pastor Ill, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.